So I'm going to hold this because I'm used to having a real mic. I'm not sure how this works, but apparently it's much better. Um, I was very excited this morning because I looked out the window and an optimist dinghy went past upside down on a large car. It's yours. Brilliant. Um, and that was really cool. So today I'm talking about one of my favorite stories, uh, the story of the rich young ruler where Jesus encounters this guy and tells him to change his life. Um, and it was quite fortuitous because when I was about 15, I'd been a Christian for about a year, I felt God say to me very clearly, and I'm not saying this to you, so please don't uh, interpret it that way, to, to not sail on Sundays and go to church instead, which was a shame because I really liked sailing. It was my favorite thing. Uh, still is. I just don't do it as much anymore. And so having that slide pass reminded me that God has a sense of humor and also that there are other people in this church who like doing fun things. Anyway, um, that was unplanned. Last week, I was lucky or unlucky enough, depending on your perspective, to be in with the kids. Um, and so I missed Anna's sermon live, but that means you can listen back to it on the website, which is really helpful. You can pause it, go away, make a cup of tea. It's very nice. And it was great. And she started to unpack Luke 15 and the parable of the lost sheep and how in pursuit of the one, Jesus gives up everything to bring us from being lost to being found, which ultimately means becoming members of this family, enjoying the benefits of brotherhood, sisterhood, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and we sang the song, He Leaves the 99, which confused me until someone pointed out that it was a reference to that parable, and my mind was blown, and I suddenly liked the song again. Um, with the kids, we read a few of the stories that Jesus told. Fortuitously, one of them was the story of the lost sheep, so hopefully there were a few parents going, oh, brilliant, they've synced it up perfectly, and we were like, yes, we definitely planned that. Um, another was the story of the merchant who finds a pearl of great price and he sells everything he has in order to acquire it. The third story we reread, apparently the underfalls normally only like two stories, but they kept asking, so we kept reading, was a bit different. It was the story of the man who built his house on the rock. Um, we're not looking at any of those stories this week, but the heart of these stories, that Jesus is more valuable and a more secure place to build our lives than anyone or anything else, is the heart of those stories and the story we'll be thinking about today. Because ultimately, that's the invitation that Jesus is offering us. It's the invitation he's always offering us. He's relentless in offering us this invitation. Follow me. It might cost you everything you have, but it is worth far more than you can ever imagine. So if you don't mind me being greedy, I'd like to draw on three passages today to try and tell one story of an encounter with Jesus with the aim of inviting anyone and anyone in this room anyone and anyone, anyone and everyone in this room um, who is listening or not listening towards Jesus, because the king and his kingdom is more valuable a pursuit than anything we could be distracted by in our lives. But by way of distraction, and because I couldn't find a clip, I've got a slide. Um, rhetorical question, who is the strongest Avenger? Yeah, these are the Avengers. If you're unaware of it, it's one of the largest film franchises in recent times. Um, go away and watch them. They're quite good fun. Obviously, uh, because they're a group, they can't all be the strongest, so quite a recurring theme is they're arguing over who is the strongest. For the purposes of this talk, I'm going to choose one of them. My favourite Avenger, rightly or wrongly, controversial choice, is... Yes, OK, we've got some fans. Uh, this could be where you go in two different directions. Um, this is Iron Man, also called Tony Stark. Um, and I expect if you've watched a few of these films, you'll have heard of Howard Stark, maybe. And I've got a picture of Howard Stark, dapper fellow in a suit. Um, Howard is Tony's father. He's the genius businessman who built the fictional financial empire that funds Tony's billionaire playboy philanthropist identity and lifestyle. 
You might not have heard of Howard Hughes, who I've also got a photo of, um, a real-life American billionaire who apparently inspired the character of Howard Stark. Howard Hughes was one of the wealthiest, most glamorous and sensational men who lived in the last century. Um, he was linked to film stars romantically. He flew planes. He owned airlines. Um, he went to hotels, liked them so much he bought them. Um, so he was you know, doing pretty well. But he died alone, watching the same films over and over on repeat in a hotel room where, once they removed his body, they found that the curtains had rotted away because they'd been closed for so long. And he basically had everything multiple times over, but in the end, it meant nothing. He was a strong, sexy, impressive character, but his death revealed the futility and the weakness of that. Howard Hughes lived in a way that most of us would probably aspire to live some of the time, apart from the last bit of his life, perhaps. But he died in a way that should make us think about what we value and what really matters. The story um, that I've been thinking and praying about is one that actually appears in three of the four Gospels. Um, the Gospels, in case you don't know, are four of the books of the Bible, because Bible means library, as you probably know, that deal specifically with the life of Jesus. Um, and gospel uh, is a word that some scholars think was invented to basically describe lives that were so impactful and powerful that we couldn't just call it a biography. So the gospels are quite important. The Bible is saying, look at this, this is important. And when something occurs more than once in the Bible, we should probably also take notice. So there are three different tellings of the same story included in the same library in order to underline just how important the question that's asked in this story to, an, to anyone and everyone who is intrigued by or invited towards Jesus. So I'm going to read one of the passages, which will come up on the screen behind me, um, and then I'll talk about it for a bit. So just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? said the man. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony or lie, honour your mother and father, and love your neighbour as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Um, and it occurred to me while looking at this, these are five of the Ten Commandments, but they're the five of the Ten Commandments that are focused on loving your neighbor. Jesus doesn't remind the guy to look at the Ten Commandments or follow the Ten Commandments about loving God. He's kind of seen that this guy is living a good life, but maybe slightly missing the point. Um, so it's an old story, and it's one I've always wrestled with. This guy approaches Jesus. He calls him teacher. He's recognizing something about him. And he's also calling him good, and Jesus kind of goes, yeah, I am good and you should follow me because I'm God is the kind of the inference there. This guy's lived a good life. This is someone who's been doing what Jesus has told him to do for a long time. But that way of living is not enough. And Jesus makes this quite clear when he says um, there is only one who is good. He's saying you're not, so follow me. And by way of a segue, this is, this is what Christians are all about. Not what we do, whether it's good things or bad things, but this one person, Jesus, this Jesus who gave up everything for the sake of the people he loved, to die for our sins, to fill us with the Holy Spirit, to bring us into life, and not just kind of 
mundane life or billionaire life, what the Bible calls life in all its fullness, a life that lasts forever, a life that impacts and explodes and just changes everything. Um, Jesus is the one who is good. But as I said, I've got three questions um, to think about this morning. The first one is quite simple, and it might seem a bit like a cop-out. Are you asking the wrong question? As I said, this story appears in three of the four Gospels, and the kind of challenge behind it occurs in other stories too. The same question is asked in all three, but only here in Matthew does the rich young ruler ask, what good thing must I do to be saved? What, not what thing, but what good thing? There's kind of I thinking I should probably do good things in order to be saved. Well, hmm. I wonder whether you've asked that question. More likely, you haven't explicitly asked that question, but the sentiment behind it drives your life. Maybe you aren't particularly worried by what God thinks about what you do day to day, but you do have a vague sense that you should tell the truth, not kill people, be nice to your parents, um, not sleep with people you aren't married to, and to generally be nice and you know, obey those kind of rough rules. Surely that's enough to be okay with God, to share with Jesus in the coming kingdom that means life in all its fullness. But that's the wrong way of looking at it. It's the wrong question. We aren't saved or made right with God or ultimately otherwise brought into contentment and life and flourishing by doing good things. That only happens when we engage with another question, a more complex, life-defining and world-changing question. The question we should ask, which isn't actually in this story but appears throughout all the Gospels and has been asked and answered and argued about by Christians for a very long time, is a different one. Do you know me is the question that Jesus would ask us. And another way of putting it, which Jesus has asked, is, who do you say I am? So let me read another account of the same story. Hopefully you'll pick up some similar things, but you might also notice some differences. So, great, thank you. Um, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do, 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 do. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. I'm always struck here uh, by this kind of pause line, Jesus looked at him and loved him. This is Jesus engaging directly um, with someone. And it's also interesting to me, might not be to you, uh, at the start, as Jesus started on his way, this is a very dynamic Jesus. This isn't Jesus sat still waiting for people to come to him. He's always waddling around doing things. And people come up to him and go, oh, it's quite exciting. But it leads to my second question. Who defines your value? To put this another way, how do you describe yourself? Tony Stark, whose Iron Man character I mentioned earlier, describes himself rather brilliantly as a genius billionaire playboy philanthropist. Most of us won't aspire to be any, let alone all of those things, but they do serve to teach us a few things. Tony Stark, Iron Man, defines himself as a genius. His value comes from his intelligence, his ability to create new ideas and new things. He defines himself as a billionaire. Part of his value comes from the wealth that he's created and amassed and the way that that sets him apart from those around him. He identifies himself as a playboy. Mindful that my mother might listen to the recording and the fact that we've got a spread of ages and sensibilities in the room, let's just say he knows he's successful with the ladies, but he's not committed to any one of them. Uh, 
Finally, Stark defines himself as a philanthropist, someone who gives money and time to good causes, more likely money because he's busy billionaireing. Um, in modern terms, he's a sexy, charitable, rich and intelligent young man, a kind of blend, if you like, of Kim Kardashian and Bill Gates. But that's not what makes him interesting. That's not what the film character is about. He's best known as Iron Man, a hero, but not a hero because of himself, but instead because of wealth and technology and connection. In terms of the story of the rich young ruler and Jesus, Iron Man or Tony Stark is a great example of a rich young ruler. One of the things um, that we don't talk about enough, even though we talk with reference to it regularly, are identity labels and privilege. Without wanting to queer my pitch, so to speak, let's back up and look at the labels involved in this story of one person's encounter with Jesus. This man, and it is a man, no question, is rich, young, and faithful. He does good, loves his parents, apparently isn't sleeping around, stealing or murdering or lying. He labels Jesus and unwittingly identifies him as God, who is good. This man's identity, in some ways of thinking, is also good. But because he isn't God and because he doesn't truly know God, and as we saw in how he's approaching the rules, he's maybe loving other people really well, but he's not loving God, his identity, his privilege is not enough. I wonder how you've come to be here this morning. You might be a random guest. You might be someone who's been in this church longer than I've been alive. You might have wandered in by accident. Regardless, I wonder what labels you use to define yourself. Perhaps they're walls that you put up to keep people away from knowing you. Perhaps they're political or religious religious statements meant to show how virtuous you are, while simultaneously keeping you at arm's length from really knowing anyone and really letting anyone know you. The labels we use to describe ourselves demonstrate our value systems. The labels we use to define ourselves, the hashtags we use to get engagement and likes on social media, the networks that we're part of to show why we matter, the things we do so that others can see what we want to look like, the image we want to project, echo who we really let define our value. This story shows that the rich young ruler's value truly came from those who valued what he valued, in this case, wealth. Wealth is not the only thing that can distract us from following Jesus, but it's very important to Jesus that we put wealth in its proper place. When our value is defined by what we own, earn, or have, or what we rent, then we are defining ourselves wrongly. Similarly, when we use labels like young or old, straight or gay, man or woman, single or married, rich or poor, ruler or slave, Republican or Democrat, for the sake of a global audience, then we are putting up a barrier that prevents us from fully pursuing Jesus. Let me make this a bit more personal. For me, one of the labels that sticks and is something I often include when I'm talking about my experience of life or trying to come across as a relatable human being rather than a weirdo is that I have depression. This is an aspect of my life, but it doesn't get to totally define who I am. My relationship with Jesus and the identity that he is shaping in me is something that meets me where I am, showing that I am infinitely more valuable than I could imagine and reminding me that there is more to me than one medical diagnosis. Reading this story whilst I've also been job hunting has been powerful. As I approach my 80th application, Jesus has been challenging me through this passage that my identity is not found in my job, or my skills, or my education, or any role I may or may not be paid to do. It's quite infuriating how Jesus has been speaking to me about that personally. Whenever we let anyone except Jesus define us and our value, we will always ultimately be let down. We end up lacking the one thing that truly matters. 
We end up being sad when the one who gives us wealth, or whatever the thing is, asks us to give up our wealth. We end up staying in relationships that we know aren't right because we're scared of what it would mean to share that only this relationship with Jesus ultimately matters. We end up, and I think we see this in our culture all the time, chasing the trappings of youth, despite the invitation from our creator to a life that lasts forever. Whenever we let anyone except Jesus define us and our value, we will always ultimately be let down. Jump back to the passage. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Luke's account of this story is probably the shortest and the simplest. But it's interesting um, that Luke uses this story. Uh, the guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke was called Luke, clues in the name. Um, and he, interestingly, is the only person who writes a book, probably in the entire Bible, who isn't Jewish ethnically. Um, and that import, affirms both the importance of God's people historically, but also offers us a sign of the radical new identity offered in Jesus. Luke wasn't born into this. He was probably an adult convert. He didn't grow up Christian, as it were. And yet, God honours him and lifts him up by letting him write two books of the New Testament, which actually is more than any other single writer in terms of word count. There's something very radical going on um, behind the scenes of this story. God is creating a new family out of people who maybe don't have anything to do with him in any way. So from that perspective, I want to ask our third and final question. Which should, yeah, who gives you value? You might have noticed that whilst this story is often called Jesus meets the rich young ruler, and if you have a children's Bible, it probably will be called that, his wealth, age, and influence or power is not made explicitly clear. Jesus isn't particularly bothered with what you've done, how rich or otherwise you are, how old or young you are, or how much influence or leadership you think you have. Jesus is far more concerned with giving you the value that he has to bestow upon you, the eternal riches of the kingdom of God, a gift worth infinitely more than we could ask or imagine. You see, Jesus has been offering us the opportunity to accept that gift of following him, of throwing your lot in with him since before you were born. We all have the opportunity to decide who is the king or the ruler of our lives. One of the earliest followers of Jesus, um, a guy called Paul, who turned his back on his learning, his inheritance, and his power to follow Jesus, and you know he got beaten up for it, wrote something that has stuck with me, which I think kind of resonates with, with the story we've been looking at today. In 1 Corinthians 16, he writes, You are not your own, you were bought at a price. And that price, the Bible tells us, was the death of Jesus, a price paid so that we can be free. Now, that is immense value. It's his entire self poured out for us. And the Bible also tells us in a story that appears in all four Gospels and radically changes the people that became the earliest followers of Jesus, that this death, this price, was not the end of the story. Because against all expectation and in defiance of the powers of the world and being labelled as a dead person, Jesus rose again three days later, foreshadowing the way into life for those who choose to die with him. Jesus, the one who is good and the one who is God, died for you because he loves you, even though you're not perfect, even though I'm not perfect. 
He invites us to follow him, to give up everything to pursue him because he's already given up everything to pursue us. This story was told by Jesus quite a while before he went to the cross, not because he was hoping to trick the rich young ruler to go in his place, but because he knew the value of what would come when he died, the kingdom of heaven changing everything. So to recap quickly before we ask Jesus to come by power and the person of the Holy Spirit and do some stuff, are you asking the wrong question? Do you understand that Jesus cares less about the good things that you do and more about what you make of him and whether you choose to follow him? Who defines your value? What do you think of the idea that Jesus is worth more than everything you've amassed in life to date and is greater and more loving and more fulfilling than any relationship you could currently be in or could ever have? And who gives you value? What do you think of this idea that Jesus longs to give you everything because he's already given you everything to know you and he invites you into a life that is infinitely more real and full and beautiful than anything you could imagine? Um, Because you're probably all bored of hearing from me, I've asked a couple of people to be listening to God uh, instead of to me uh, during during this talk. So if you could make your way back up and the band as well, um, we're going to just see if God has got anything to poke us and prod us with. Um, so, yes, if I asked you and you don't have anything to say, then that's absolutely fine. But uh, thank you.